You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's to find out more about our church or to take a next step. Visit stbarts.com.au. Well, as we begin a new series today, a mini series, so three parts, it would be terrific to have your Bibles, your Bible apps still open and ready at John chapter 2. There's also an outline on the back of the news. There's uh, points there in English, Dinka, Korean, and Simplified Chinese. If that's of help to you, please make use of that. But right now, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you so much for all of your good gifts to us, especially the gift of your grace that we see poured out through your Son and that which we experience in the power of your Spirit. Lord, would you please be at work this day in your power, by your Spirit, through your Word, growing us in our understanding, in our delight, and our reflection of the fruit of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night before Jesus died, he promised his disciples that he would send a comforter, his spirit, into their lives to be with them and to help them. If you're a Christian, you have also received that very same gift, his spirit, to be with you, so to experience his beauty and his grace, and to help you grow in his likeness and take your part in his mission. The Spirit is with us and helps us in in so many different ways, but over the next three weeks, we're considering one way that the Spirit is at work with us and helping us, shaping us to reflect his very character. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, because this is just a three-week mini-series, we don't have the luxury of a whole entire week to introduce the fruit of the Spirit. And so that means today, before we take a, a closer look at the fruit or the aspect of the fruit, patience, so be patient, we will get there, we need to do some theological housekeeping, okay? So everyone loves housekeeping and theological housekeeping is particularly special, so that's what we're going to do. So as we come to think about the fruit of the Spirit by looking at the character of Jesus, there's three simple things that we need to keep in mind. First, Paul's list of fruit is not intended to be completely comprehensive. It's a super list, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It is a cracker of a list. But that doesn't mean that there aren't also other dimensions of the fruit of the Spirit to put on just as much as Paul's former list of things to take off isn't a closed book either. Second, notice that these are not fruits of the Spirit, plural, but fruit of the Spirit, singular. So it's not a buffet that you pick and choose from. They go together. They're a package deal. You can't say, Lord, Lord, please give me an abundance of joy, but I'm not really fond of self-control. There are different aspects to the fruit, but ultimately they're one fruit. Now that means that we ultimately are only as mature in this fruit as we are at the weakest point. Third, the fruit is ultimately the work of the Spirit 
So we cooperate by yielding to him. That means if you see any evidence of this fruit in me, I have no grounds for arrogance. And when I see evidence of that fruit in you, I have no grounds for envy. The fruit is not my or your achievement, but the outcome of the Spirit having his way with us. Which means, according to Paul, that we have a responsibility to put away those things that stifle the work of the Spirit or are in opposition to the work of Spirit, and we have a responsibility to keep on putting on and then keeping in step with how the Spirit is at work transforming and shaping us. John Stott, the great John Stott, knowing who was the ultimate cause of that fruit, prayed daily as part of his pattern of devotion, Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Let that be our prayer for the series. In fact, let that prayer be for our whole lives. One fruit with many dimensions, one spirit who is the source and the cause. Okay, so that's the theological housekeeping. We're going to take a deeper look at patience, gentleness, and joy over three weeks. And we're going to do that. Our method is by considering how each of these is perfectly on display in the character and life of Jesus. So that's how we're going to go about it. Today, we begin with patience. How we need patience, or at least I know how I need patience. We need patience to be good friends, to be good colleagues and workers and teammates, housemates, parents, grandparents, spouses. We, we need patience as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need patience as we seek to follow Jesus and to reflect his likeness. We live in an impatient world in desperate need of a long vision, trusting in God's purposes, and a present clarity, trusting in God's timing. So first, we live in an impatient world. Now, we don't really need to go mount some sort of major sociological study to figure that out, because you can really ascertain this. You can ascertain the prominence of impatience just by taking a cursory examination of your own life, if you're willing to do so. Okay? So think about for a moment, what are the situations in which you find yourself being impatient? Now, you might not really need any help to bring those things to mind. You might not even have to go looking too far in the past to bring those things to mind. But in case you need some prompting, I'm going to give you a bit of a hand, okay? So it could be impatience with people, impatience with people who are slowing you down or being indecisive or getting in the way. It could be impatience with projects, projects that never seem to get done or they never end. Impatience with personal longings that go unfulfilled or seemingly out of reach. Impatience with pain, pain without relief. Impatience with problems that go unresolved. In the Bible, the word that is regularly translated in English as patience or sometimes forbearance or long-suffering... That word means not simply a willingness to wait, as if you know, you're really good in a queue, or if you're on hold, 
waiting to speak to someone in the call centre or something like that. But a steadfast, a steadfastness even in the face of persecution and provocation. Now, I don't even like waiting on an escalator when it's blocked on the right and I can't race up the side. But real patience is not just that requiring a wait or in the face of a minor inconvenience, but steadfastness even in the face of persecution and provocation. That gives us some perspective. In the face of dissatisfaction, indecision, and discomfort, often our first instinct is to want to fast-forward through it. And when we can't, that often spills out in all sorts of unhelpful ways or in real compromised choices that we make. Our impatience is often not just being in a hurry or because we have to be instantly gratified or because we have some sort of existential fear of missing out, although it could be all those things, but I think something is more fundamental going on. It can drive us crazy that we are not in control. I'm sure if this morning we got my kids up the front and we did an interview with them, they could tell you, or they could begin to tell you, of the ways in which my impatience especially surfaces when it's bedtime, okay? So when it's bedtime and all of a sudden it's as if the nighttime routine is being experienced for the very first time. It's like, wow, Dad, this is totally a novel concept. We brush our teeth and get our pyjamas on and things like that. I remember one night uh, saying to Theodore, what part of stop playing and go brush your teeth don't you understand? Only for Amelia to respond, I think it's the stop part. <laughs> so why should we bother with patience? Because it turns out that it's not just parents who need patience. Not only is patience most often used in the Bible as an attribute of God, but it's most often used as an attribute of God expressed towards his people, to us. We ought to nurture patience for God, whose spirit resides in us, is patient. We ought to nurture patience for God has been extraordinarily patient with us. God has been so patient with me. I would have given up a long time ago, but not God. God has been so patient with you. Psalm 103, which we sometimes actually use as an introduction to our time of confession, reads, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Read through the Gospels, the early accounts of Jesus' life and death, and you will see a glimpse of God's patience towards us over and over and over again. It's the type of patience that the Spirit wants to ripen in us. So you might think about as Jesus was patient with the crowds, teaching, feeding, and waiting for them. Patient with individuals, explaining concepts, showing them love, meeting them at their need, sharing meals. Patient with the disciples, how he was patient with the disciples. Over and over again, even when they did and said foolish things repeatedly. Patient with his purpose. 
not skipping discomfort, dissatisfaction, or disappointment, but remaining steadfast even when prodded, persecuted, and provoked. That's the type of patience that we desperately need. That's the type of patience, the precise of the type of patience that the Spirit is seeking to ripen in us. And the way that we can grow in that type of patience, as the Spirit is at work, is through a long vision, trusting in God's purposes, and a present clarity, trusting in God's timing. So let's look at both of those. So we grow in patience through a long vision, trusting in God's purposes. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now, we actually don't know a great deal about weddings in the first century, but what we do know is that these were really significant major events. They could actually go on for a whole week. And the role of hospitality, to be a good host, was absolutely central. And so running out of wine is a big deal. This is not the Australian equivalent of a pub without beer, as, as bad as that might be, or serious as that might be here. But this is offensive to the guests. It brings great shame on the host. It might seem surprising that Mary brings this problem to Jesus. Why Jesus? But of course she does, because she knows who Jesus is. He might not be the groom, nor the host, nor the master of the banquet, but he is the Lord of the feast. Perhaps it even seems a bit strange or even trivial that the very first miracle in the Gospel of John is the provision of wine at a wedding. You know, out of all the things, this is the first one. But of course, it's no coincidence because John says that this is a sign pointing forward. Jesus does the miracle, but not for the reason that Mary anticipates or seems to anticipate. She might be thinking that this is Jesus' time to shine, that this is the moment for his glory to be revealed. But Jesus patiently knows that this is not yet that moment. There must have been so many times, so many occasions, in which it was really tempting for Jesus to display his glory. I mean, we know in the wilderness, he was literally tempted by the devil to be impatient, to rush ahead, to take something that uh, wasn't, uh, not his, but to take it when it wasn't time. Time and time again, even when Jesus is pressed, prodded and provoked, he responds by calling and trusting in God's purposes. Whenever we go to a wedding as a family, and we actually go to quite a fair share of weddings, actually, but whenever we go, almost inevitably, one of our kids will say to us, or ask us some sort of question about our own wedding, you know, way back when, or they will make a comment about what they'd like at their wedding, uh, what they would like it to be like if they get married one day. But here's Jesus. He wasn't married. He knew he wouldn't be married. Yet he is a groom. The groom. He had a wedding to think about. In fact, it's part of God's great purpose for his son. 
time and time again throughout the Bible, the ultimate consummation of things is pictured as a wedding. A wedding between Jesus and his people. And so you might recall in Revelation chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, Jesus knew that that wedding had a costly road ahead. I wonder if that's what is on his mind at Cana. But he also knew that it was worth it because he trusted in God's purposes. Over the years as a minister, one of really the most extraordinary, one of the most phenomenal privileges is to get to walk alongside people and witness people who demonstrate really remarkable patience, even amidst the most difficult and painful of circumstances. And I have to say that whenever I get to witness that, what I find most amazing is as, as I spend time with those people, they will almost never attribute their patience to some sort of powerful, inward, naive optimism, but because they know that God is with them and they trust in his ultimate purposes, time and time again. In the face of discomfort, dissatisfaction and disappointment, when we're waiting and things are tough, or we're simply just not getting what we want, what we need is long vision that keeps trusting in God's purposes. Our culture kind of says, well, you don't need to wait. Perhaps even waiting is bad. We can even be lulled into thinking that God is some sort of cosmic killjoy, denying us what we really want. But we can be patient because we can truly trust that God's purposes are good. Of the promise that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived that which has been prepared for those who love him. That there is a wedding day that awaits for all who trust in him when every tear will be wiped away, when justice will be done, when we will be in God's presence forever. Patience isn't just holding your breath and wait, but it's breathing deeply, even amidst angst and uncertainty. It's breathing deeply in confidence of God's purposes which are being worked out. We need a long vision trusting in God's purposes. But we also grow in patience through a present clarity trusting in God's timing. So let's look again, once again, at John chapter 2, verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Uh, throughout John's Gospel, you will hear that phrase, my hour has not yet come, on repeat. So here at the wedding of Cana, in John chapter 7, we read that they tried to seize Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? 
because his hour had not come. Again, in John chapter 8, they tried to arrest him, but his hour had not yet come. You know, people were constantly poking, prodding and provoking Jesus to act. And it wasn't just his enemies. It wasn't just those who were cross with Jesus. Jesus had to sometimes even resist the push of his own disciples who were often trying to get him to accelerate or expedite his mission. They didn't want Jesus just to get on with their agenda, but also their timeline. Perhaps even Mary thinks that this is Jesus' time to shine, that this is his moment for glory. But Jesus, full of the Spirit, is not only shaped by the long vision of God's purposes for him, but even in the face of real pressure, had a present clarity, trusting in God's timing. How we need that. You know, when practising patience, even those really micro opportunities to express patience, what we're actually doing is we are bringing our purposes in line with God's agenda, we're bringing our timing in line with God's timeline. When I feel frustrated or held up, you know, I just want to take control. I just want to rush ahead. But not Jesus, even though he had all power and all right. Not even here, or note even here, that as Jesus responds to Mary, it's as if he wants her to understand, not that this isn't the time for the miracle, because of course he he does the miracle, but it's not the hour for his glorification. The disciples thought that Jesus' ultimate moment of glorification was going to be ascending to a throne. But Jesus knew that the true moment of crowning glory would be going to the cross. It's actually why it's only when it's time for him to go to the cross that he then says, my hour has now come. Did you spot the detail that the jars of water that Jesus turns into wine were the sort used for ceremonial washing? Ceremonial washing was part of ordinary day-to-day life for Jewish people. They continuously went through this cycle of being unclean, so being made defiled by just the normal everyday occurrences in life, and then washing to be made clean. That's the jars that Jesus here, not yet his hour, remember, turned into wine. But when the hour came, Jesus would take wine and say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That it will be his blood poured out so that we can be washed clean and feast with him forever. Who can question God's timing when we have all the evidence to tell us it is good? I remember once hearing almost a throwaway line on a TV show that patience is just procrastination without anxiety. You know, basically they're saying, you know, patience is a total waste of time uh, and not feeling bad about it. That's what patience is. But that is only true if we reduce time to some sort of commodity and measure it of how we benefit in terms of profit, efficiency or achievement. But that's not what, how, that's not what God asks us to do. Christian patience, a patience born of the Spirit, doesn't appeal to our profit, efficiency gained or what we achieve, 
but is willing, even in the face of our own discomfort, to trust in God's purposes and timing. It's the spirit alive in us, reminding us of how God has been patient with us, reminding us that God's purposes are good, reminding us that God's timing is perfect. As we're reminded in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's why John Stott, who prayed daily for the fruit of the Spirit to ripen his life, could also pray, God, give us a patient eagerness and an eager patience as we wait for your promises to be fulfilled. Yesterday afternoon, as I was trying to navigate my way from here, so from St Bart's to my house, I seemed to take what uh, appeared to be an agonising amount of time, slow trip home, as I encountered all the Carnival of Flowers traffic. And as I painfully crawled along the street, just 500 metres from my house, at a total glacial speed, I have to say I was feeling incredibly impatient. The good news is that the irony was not lost on me. Here I was feeling impatient with all these people who have come to see gardens in our city which have been patiently and carefully prepared. How much more does God deserve our patience as he so patiently is doing a work in our lives and in our world? Perhaps right now you are feeling really impatient in a particular area of your life. And I want to suggest that even just this week, when we are struggling to be patient, instead of that fuse being lit, instead of rushing ahead and responding harshly, it's actually in those moments, in those times, we have the opportunity and the help of the Spirit to practice patience and actually also to show what God's patience looks like to the whole world. That might be with a co-worker who's really frustrating you, or a loved one who has hurt you. Maybe it's impatience actually with yourself and your limits, or perhaps even impatience with God for a longing that goes unfulfilled. We begin by remembering that the Lord is patient with us. We live in an impatient world. God is patiently working out his plans to the world and that even includes a patient work in you. Patience is an opportunity to delight in God's patience with us, trust in his purposes and timing and demonstrate his character to the world. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray this day, please, will you fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Lord, how we thank you for the extraordinary patience that you have demonstrated and shown us and that which you continue to demonstrate and show us. 
Lord, please forgive us for our impatience. Lord, would you please be at work in the power of your spirit, convicting us when we're impatient, that we might see those opportunities as an incredible way that we can move with your spirit who seeks to ripen patience in our lives. Lord, in those moments, please help us to remember how patient you have been with us, that we might trust in your purposes, that we might trust in your timing and seek to show your character to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St. Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.